Our text this morning takes us to the book of Philippians, and uh, I'm happy to hear that this will be reviewed uh, for you. Uh, that means that I can kind of fly over some of the things that are pretty common as we look at this book of Scripture. So if you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and grab it, turn to Philippians, and we'll be at chapter 1. We'll go from verse 12 through to verse 18 this morning. Well, as you know, uh, Christ is the purpose of life. We see that in uh, verse 21 of Philippians chapter 1, where the apostle says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In chapter 2, we are exposed to the idea that Christ is the pattern of life. Verse 5 of chapter 2, we are told that we should have this mind among ourselves, which, was your, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or let this mind be in you. You have in a other translation. Philippians 3.14 introduces the concept that Christ is not only the purpose of life, the pattern of life, but he is also the prize of life. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that famous verse that... You know, we all know now that many people use out of context Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, speaks to the fact that Christ is indeed the power of life. And so it is in Philippians chapter 1 that we find context that helps us regarding the Apostle Paul's situation. The church at Philippi has a special significance for the Apostle. Uh, it was the first church he founded in Europe. Again, this is flyover for you guys. Paul and Silas were imprisoned there for exercising a demon from a fortune-telling slave girl. But God miraculously delivered them. They also took the opportunity to proclaim the gospel to the Philippian jailer, as you would recall. And we understand that the Apostle Paul may have taken opportunity to visit a few times after his initial departure and they maintained a good relationship and support for his ministry. So let's go ahead and read Philippians 1, 12 through to verse 14 to start. The Word of God says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much, bold, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Let us pray. Our great God, we are so thankful to you for how you have revealed yourself to us through your word and through your son, Jesus. We are thankful that revelation already exists and what we desire and crave is illumination. We seek to understand more deeply the truth that you have already presented to us. And so as we consider Christ, the one who is the power, the prize, the purpose, and pattern for life. We have this text in a context of intense suffering, 
of discomfort, of unusual situations in our lives. And we're thankful that your word endures and is relevant for now. And so may you, by your spirit, reveal to us, illumine our hearts, show us what it is that we need to learn today that we would more conform to the image of Jesus Christ in our daily living. Father, may you have free course in our hearts today by your spirit. Cause us to understand, but not be satisfied with head knowledge, but that it will hit our hearts, Lord God, and that we will take action, Lord. That your word will be powerful today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The context in which we have found ourselves is that of a global health crisis. I don't need to tell you about what has been going on for the past several months, but COVID-19 has brought with it some unexpected changes, right? We had our plans, we prayed about them, some of us fasted about them, and we were so sure that this is what God wanted us to do. (laughs) Our youth group was supposed to travel to Trinidad. (laughs) for a massive regional youth conference. And we thought that that was what the plan was going to be until all flights were canceled. What is our perspective then? What is our response then? COVID brought with it a lot of anxiety and fear. A lot of uncertainty, not knowing what was happening from day to day. We were glued to our television sets, our phones, or wherever we could get news locally about what was to happen next. You remember when they shut down the supermarkets? And then you find yourselves in some of those long lines. I mean, I went to uh, one, uh, what do you call it, these big uh, chains, whatever. Uh, big uh, warehouse-type place, don't want to call it name. And I was so excited when I rolled up on this place because I saw like four or five people outside. Check me parking my car, hustling out, getting your mask on, right? So we all wear masks now. That's not part of our culture now. Right? Not strange for those in the East, but now in the West, we got masks on. And I am so excited. So I, I ran to what is, I think, the back of the line. And the line continues around the corner of the building. And as I'm walking, you can see my excitement just start to fade. <laughs> As I'm walking, still past persons, you know, my mother and father taught me manners, so as I pass each person, it's uh, morning, 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 all the way down the side of this building, all around to the back of the building. Halfway around the back of the building is where I took my place. Of course, you know, the, the son was not aware of what was happening uh, with COVID, so now... I am there getting a tan that I didn't expect to get. And so that's one measure or one degree of suffering. And you would say that, you know, that's bearable. But much more than that, there are persons who have suffered the loss of jobs. Those of us who have encountered that know that this is tough. This is a tough season for all of us. Yet God is in control and we convince ourselves of this from the scriptures. One person has said the sovereignty of God is often questioned because man does not understand what God is doing. Because he does not act as we think he should, we conclude he cannot act as we think he would. So we have an idea of what God should do and how God should 
do it, and when, and where. But we are reminded that we are not the ones who are in control. You see, believers often rebelliously question God in times of overwhelming suffering. But because the glory of Christ is the purpose for your life, you must trust the Lord for a joyful response in challenging times because the glory of Christ is the purpose for your life. You must trust the Lord for a joyful response in challenging times. So, question, would you rather be locked up or locked down? Then neither. <laughs> well, the Apostle Paul, he finds himself locked up. He is under, as you would say, house arrest. But don't think, Martha Stewart, think undesirable conditions. He's in prison. And so how does a man of God find himself in this place and how does he respond when he suffers? So just two points this morning, praise God, verses 12 to 14. We see that the mature believer will suffer opposition from the outside, from unsaved people, if you want to say from secular folk, for living out the gospel. You will suffer opposition, the mature believer. And because that is the case, you must trust the Lord for a joyful response. That's what we see in verses 12 through to verse 14. You will suffer personally as a result of your gospel proclamation. Are you willing to be locked up for the gospel? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, verse 12, has really served to advance the gospel. What perspective to have? One of the first things we do when we suffer is question God, though, right? It is not only, somebody says, an irreverent act to question God's wisdom. It is also spiritually debilitating. <laughs> We only besmirch God's glory. Uh, we not only besmirch God's glory, we also deprive ourselves of the comfort and peace that comes by simply trusting Him without requiring an explanation. He goes on to say, When I say we should never ask why, I am not talking about the reactive, spontaneous cry of anguish when calamity first befalls us or one we love. Rather, I am speaking of the persistent and demanding way that has an accusatory tone toward God. The former is a natural human reaction. The latter is a sinful human reaction. Three of the Psalms, as you know, begin with why. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far off? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you rejected us forever? Psalm 10, Psalm 22, Psalm 74. Why, why, why? But each of these Psalms ends in a note of trust in God. The psalm writers did not allow their wives to drag on. Sometimes we find ourselves like that. They did not allow them to take root and grow into accusations against God. Their wives were really cries of anguish, a natural reaction to pain. By contrast, there are 16 wives in the book of Job, according to one person. 16 times God, uh, Job asked God why. <laughs> He is persistent and petulant. He is accusatory towards God. And as has been observed by many, God never answers Job's wife. Instead, he answered who? This ought to be our perspective during the global pandemic. And so the Philippians are disturbed by what has happened to the apostle. News has reached them that he has been locked up. 
Paul alerts them that unexpectedly, that is humanly, unexpectedly, on a human sense, the gospel was actually going forward. It may be that Paul was imprisoned because God's sovereign plan was to get the gospel out to more places and people in Rome, and this was the best way for it to be done. That may have been the case. Adverse circumstances, guys, may actually be the cause of gospel advance. This is contrary to, to all expectation. You would not expect this. What has happened as a result of the pandemic? Many churches, many assemblies, and uh, when I say many, I'm not going to make any distinction here between uh, Bible preaching and not, right? A lot of churches went online that were online before. A lot of people on a Sunday morning, they were scrolling through their Facebook feeds and they were browsing YouTube and they saw a church service coming over that they never saw before. And we see that in the midst of the pandemic, God forced churches online. And so now your viewership went from X to Y. We have experienced that. Many others have experienced that where persons have joined the stream and they say, I'm tuning in for the first time and this is a blessing. In a pandemic, God is up to a lot, right? It's difficult to, no one can pin down exactly what God is up to. All we can do is look at the results. The fact is that there has been more exposure to church services on a whole, as a result of the pandemic. Now, that, depending on what you know about Christendom, that either makes you really excited or really nervous. Because <laughs> that means that there were also some churches online that were promoting it, uh, a twisted gospel. And more people view that as well. You see why we need more faithful Bible preaching churches? Huh? But the Apostle Paul is going to be going uh, launch into this a little bit more because it gets even more complicated. <laughs> he says in verse 13 that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. People who I would not have normally met. <laughs> Paul is doing ministry from uh, the inside. Have you ever seriously considered what that what you are doing right now could actually be the, to the benefit of someone else who desperately, desperately needs your joyful testimony. Listen, persons go through a lot. We come uh, to church service, we assemble together, and we sit next to, and well, in, in COVID now, we kind of spaced out more, right? But there's somebody in front of you, somebody behind you, and you don't know exactly what they're going through. Said it this way, there are persons who were wearing masks long before COVID started. Persons who are hurting at home relationally, financially, having tons of health challenges, but they come to church with a smile. You don't know. Your joyful response in times of suffering is important for helping other people. People are experiencing major difficulties and they need your support and your example. Well, if so-and-so can go through it, by the grace of God, so can I. So even though Paul was immobilized under house arrest, the gospel continues to move when he is unable to. And even though we were locked down, the gospel was still able to get out. 
How about all those Zoom meetings? You guys have been having Zoom meetings? Oh man, what an experience. All of us have become Zoom experts, no. Is your mic on? Can you hear me? Turn on your microphone. So many challenges. It was so awkward. We were falling over ourselves, but still we were able to persist. The gospel kept moving, boy. I'm excited about that because you know, for us, we were able to reach more people than we normally would within our own church. Persons who couldn't drive out to Wednesday night prayer meeting, for instance, because they, they have challenges on the road at night. Zoom meeting during the day. Pastor, this is fantastic. Right? And so we see how the crisis has impacted us positively. The results of Christian suffering can result uh, in an unexpected surge in gospel proclamation. Paul was confined. He was restricted. He had physical limitations. Yet, he could be confident that the gospel of Christ could not be bound even though he was. So you should be more daring and fearless in your attempts at gospel proclamation. So, we have current problems. We may be suffering because of something that we did. That is true, right? You can you you could be suffering because of something that you did. Or something that somebody else did to you in the past. So how do you handle that? Rather than looking back or walking around with our heads in the ground, the Apostle Paul look up and look ahead. Shift your perspective. Look at Christ. Look at the work that God is doing all around you and wants to continue to do in you. Future tense for the furtherance of his kingdom. So we see that you will suffer personally as a result of your gospel proclamation. Other people may be affected by the result of your gospel proclamation as well. Those that are lost in darkness, as we said, verse 13, they may see the light of your joyful faithfulness and ask a question with, how could you be so calm? Folks, people have shared with me how COVID has just, the anxiety, not knowing. We had a, we had a whole webinar just on anxiety and worry. It felt, it was, it was, it was, it was uh, binding for many people. Being told, I have to go to the supermarket on a certain day. Hmm? Feel so restricted. We know that the pressures, some have even succumbed to the pressures and have taken their own lives. Verse 14 tells us that most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the, the, uh, the word without fear. Well, that's strange. Well, if our main guy is locked up and confined, how is it that we're becoming more bold? They're not discouraged. You see, there's one sense in which they're patterning their lives after Paul and they see his attitude in the midst of suffering. They say, if he can endure that, then I can get her out of here and I can go to share the gospel with somebody. You see how important it is to maintain a sound, strong testimony in times of suffering? It can also have the adverse effect to discourage people. Well, well, that person wasn't strong enough, so, well, who am I? 
I'm done with this. It got them, so it got to them, so I. No, they became much more bold. And might we be more bold in our gospel proclamation? Pastor John prayed that, that there would be more added to our number here, your number here at CRBC. We have to be more bold in our gospel proclamation, even as they're telling us to keep distance. <laughs> Stay away from people. So how do you get the gospel out? You have to use the means of technology and look to see how you can leverage those for the kingdom. So Paul is concerned about the gospel more than anything else. Paul experienced, the apostle Paul experienced personal imprisonment, pain and suffering and inconvenience and possible execution. Paul exercised spiritual wisdom to the extent that he knows that the testimony of his faith in Christ is going to walk to save and unsaved people, challenging them both. In adverse circumstances, you've got to seek things to rejoice over. And while COVID, look, we ain't listening. Being in lockdown, we were home, we were, we were confined to our homes. And uh, those of us who are blessed with children, uh, we knew that that was uh, a particular blessing during that time, uh, to say. Uh, 24 7. And that's so strange, right? Like, right? they're your children. <laughs> you know? <laughs> what we're so accustomed to getting up and dropping them off at the grandparents or dropping them off at school and go off to our jobs and then deal with them in the evening for two, three hours and go to bed and ah, 24 7. Uh, I did not know that Peyton was so athletic. Uh, he's a climber, right? Uh, he's a runner. And I literally, during these five months or whatever it was, I'm, I'm sure that there was one night, uh, Peter went to sleep, morning he woke up, he was taller. I literally watched my children grow up. And that's so, that's such a blessing, guys. You know? And we passed them off and then, but to spend so much time, that was, that was something for me to rejoice over. <laughs> Again, I told you, I was able to interact with more people than we normally would for our services through the online meetings and so on. So in adverse circumstances, look for things to rejoice over. Look for things that, that I know you have them. I know there were blessings for you that you uh, came across. Uh, and one of those many long lines. What's the longest you guys have been in one of those long lines? Sorry? Three and a half? Ooh, that is some suffering. Uh, yeah, I don't think that. I think Mel, you got the, you got the record here. Uh, anybody, anybody been here three and a half? No, no, I'm good. I'll be gone. Yeah, one of those long lines, though. Um, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. It was so exciting because normally, right? When when you get to stand up next to a stranger for so long, right? All you can do is talk, right? After a while, your phone really does get boring, right? I I, I just went like. Hey, how you doing? I was struck up this conversation, and it turns out the, the, the lady had all these plans too that COVID interrupted. Now where her plans were? Jump for Kadume. <laughs> so she said, no, I can't jump for Kadume. I said, Lord, Lord, amen. Whoa. Tell her, you know, that maybe maybe there's a reason why you weren't to go this year. 
Just, I, I'm warning things, Pastor John, I'm, 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 I'm leveraging now in this new rule because uh, I don't think I was a pastor since when I was here last, right? So that's changed, that's different, all right? Uh, I'm able to say the guys, yeah, um, I, I'm a pastor. And that gives me so much opportunity to share the gospel that I didn't have before. You know, it, it's so different and people just talk and it's like, what? And that, those are things to rejoice over, even while we stand up in the hot sun baking. Right? So look for those opportunities. I saw these final verses before we close, 15 to 18. So we see that you can suffer opposition externally, right? So he's locked up by those secular people and say if you might argue, okay. But you know that it's also possible to suffer opposition internally from spiritual saved people. <laughs> and that's what's going on in verses. 15, we see that some indeed preach Christ, so they preach Christ, so we're assuming that they're believers, right? So broad rush, they preach Christ, but there's something strange about it. Their motives are exposed. They preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. So some of those streams that you've been seeing, somebody said to me, Pastor, I love this time because, you know, I am able to go to so many churches on a Sunday morning. <laughs> right? I go to about three services on a Sunday morning. I go to this one first day, and then I come to the break, because ours is much later. I don't know. We probably, we probably know about starting. Right? I, I sort of go about to all these, these, these services, but it, it, it concerns me because do we have the discernment to know whether this person is preaching from a right motive. Apostle is going to have an interesting response to that, as you, as you know. So, some preachers are fueled by envy and rivalry. What's envy? Envy has this nuance to it that it is concerned more to, to deprive the other person of the desired thing than to have it for yourself. That's a nuance. So, so I don't really want it, but you can't have it. <laughs> you imagine that. I don't, I, don't, I don't really want, but I just, I just want to make sure that you don't get it. Wow. Occurs, it occurs nine times in the New Testament. The word for envy features in several lists of evil qualities that characterize the unredeemed life. It is one of the works of the flesh, Galatians 5.21. Uh, it describes those whom God has given up to a base mind, Romans 1.29. And is a feature of life before conversion, Titus 3.3. That is to be put away by those who grow up to salvation, 1 Peter 2, 1 to 2. So they're envious, and then they preach from rivalry or being contentious. I always want to fight. Uh, it is a competition. <laughs> so that's what we have going on now. So it's, uh, this, this, church, this church is the best church. <laughs> I've got to get the most followers, right? Um, so, so pastors asking after the stream, how many people we had on the stream today? Hmm? Oh, oh, I don't measure by 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 by, uh, by reactions. I rather by interaction. Some some craziness. Right? We're so we're so consumed with this, and we're being distracted. It's about rivalry. It's about being contentious. Does does that sound anything like what should be persisting in the life of a believer? Does that sound like persons who are on mission on track? A believer, let alone a preacher, right? Because these are persons preaching Christ. Who are these people then? Some say that they are, uh, they were not preaching against Paul. They were preaching against his civil authorities. But uh, this would then make things tougher for Paul when he was in prison. However, there is no real support for this view from the text. And furthermore, the text is about preaching Christ, not pushing back against 
uh, imperial rule motivated by politics. So many Christians distracted by what is going on politically. Others say that uh, there were possibly Judaizers, right? So persons trying to get those per, uh, people who converted to Christianity or claimed to be to go back and follow Old Testament laws and so on. Uh, but if that's the case, then it's hard to see how Paul could be glad that they are telling people to go back to living under the Old Covenant. So that's strange. So these are probably believers, right? Preaching a fairly sound gospel message, but who seem to have some sort of personal problem with Paul. Clearly, they are not allowing the message they are preaching to, complete, uh, to completely impact their own hearts, right? <laughs> Because if this were the case, then they would recognize that whatever harm they wished to inflict on Paul was really, it was in reality contradicting the Christian love that they should have, should have had for their imprisoned brother. The truth is that probably, it's probably best to admit that we do not know for sure what caused this interpersonal contention. But we know that the problem that they had was different motives for preaching than Paul did, even though the content of their message was the same. So persons are like, if he were really a gospel preacher, he would never have been locked up. You see what I'm telling you now? You see where he lined up now? You see where he ended up? And they are using that opportunity to step on Paul and what? Elevate themselves. We become so distracted, we become so consumed with self-promotion that we We'll do whatever we can do to get to the top. But it doesn't happen in church, right? It's uh, not, not see everything. It's holy, holy, holy people. <laughs> this in the flesh is really a challenge for all of us. So let us be mindful about our motives. Now, I can't judge your motive. That's between you and God. The Apostle Paul has special insight into their motives though, right? Because he's able to say that they are doing it from, from this point of view, from this uh, background. So, some preachers are fueled by envy and rivalry, but some are fueled by goodwill, and that is what it should be. So we see that the real, that's the reality. Not everybody is up there with the right motive. <laughs> Secondly, we see that apart from that reality, that there are certain reasons, there are reasons, the motives for preaching differed. Verse 16 says that they, the latter, the goodwill preachers, right, they do it out of love. But here's further explanation, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. He actually said this earlier in the chapter as well, uh, around verse 7. Yeah, 1 7. So they know something about Paul, and they say, you know what, we are not going to be thrown off by this thing that looks as though he's probably being punished. Maybe he did something wrong. We're not going to get distracted by that thought. We know something about the apostle. The apostle has been put here for the defense of the gospel, and we are encouraged then to keep going. And that is a loving response to suffering from the outside. But then there are some people, verse 17, he goes on to say that the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition. And here's a further explanation on that. Not sincerely. Not sincerely. They're up there preaching Christ, but they're not sincere. Thinking to inflict me. They, they, the reason they're up there, everything is to bash the apostle. They preach Christ and bash the apostle. Thinking to afflict me in my 
imprisonment. And so there are reasons for diverse motivations for preaching Christ. The reality is that people are not having the same motive. There are reasons behind those motives. But thirdly, we come to understand what the response should be. What's the response? He asks in verse 18, what then? <laughs> what, what do I do? I'm in prison. I'm confined. I'm bound. I can't do anything about it. What they're saying about me. They're attacking me. What then? What's he saying? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. So on a superficial reading of this, somebody reminds us or points out that it might seem as though the situation at Rome did not distress him. That he was curiously indifferent to the personal ill will directed against him or even that the motives of a person in preaching were unimportant. Like it did not matter. Is that the case with the result that in the end, some way, uh, the end could justify the means and, and you know, so it's all good. But the paragraph serves to show us how Paul does submit his own personal interests to those of the wider horizon of the gospel. If you want to attack me, <laughs> you want to insult me, you want to slander me, that's fine, so long as Christ is preached. <laughs> that is truly a supernatural perspective that could only be given by the Spirit. The gospel is being served even by those who would not serve him. So what's the loving response in conflict? It is to rejoice. You are called to rejoice in tough times. But you say that is so unrealistic. This is why I cannot understand y'all Christians. Because y'all say things that are so far-fetched. How can I rejoice when I've been sent home? Persons in our congregation. Call you in the office, give it seven, che seven checks. Say sorry. We're hours slashed. They put you on short time. All of a sudden, you have less than half of your income. What are you supposed to do? You can't even, you can't go and start anything new because you're locked down. And then you say to me that I am supposed to what? It's unrealistic. You Christians don't get it. You're too pie in the sky. How can a man who is locked down but locked up have this view? Is this real? Absolutely. Because he has the Holy Spirit that gives him this gift. The fruit of the Spirit. One fruit. Nine parts. Second one listed, love, then joy. Joy comes from the Spirit. Those that had the Spirit of God were able to, there must have been some point during that pandemic that you might, you know what? Hallelujah, anyhow. Hmm? Must have been some point where you say, God, I praise you for what we have. It may not be a lot, but I'm glad that we have something. You know, when you go to Join that line. You know what that means? That you have something to spend when you, when you get inside eventually, right? Praise God for that. So we don't allow ourselves to be distracted by what we are lacking. So, one gentleman that you may be familiar with, 
Richard Baxter says, truth did not change because I'm in jail. <laughs> Doesn't matter what's happened to me, so long as we commit ourselves to the cause of Christ. The Apostle Paul has this remarkable attitude. You see it in Galatians 2.20, you know it. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Suffering is a platform with which to honor Christ with your life. It is during this time that we are to represent Christ. It's during this time that we are to proclaim. Not after. After two, yes, of course. But especially during, right, when it counts. Sometimes I wonder, Christians, do we show up when it actually counts? When the crisis is going on, where were we? Boy, it's a rebuke to us. We're so worried that we forgot to call a brother and sister and ask them how they do it. It's a my soul. Lord, did I reach out to enough people during the pandemic? Or was I so concerned with my family, us four, and no more. Huh? I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. There's much more in this text, of course, that we can't touch. Verse 19, he says, I know that I know that I know that I know that God will deliver me from here. And all of this will turn out to my freedom. Whether that happens now or later, Christ is going to give me the victory. So this is nothing like uh, whatever will be, will be. This is not, um, don't worry, be happy, right? None of those casual approaches. This is an intentional giving over to God's sovereign will. This is actively choosing. And even wrestling a little bit with the choice to be joyful about what God is doing in a dire situation. So just to close, to remind ourselves that whatever has happened to us in the providence of God has served as a potential situation for the advancement of the gospel. One of the things that many churches, and look, it's not just church, so just be mindful of that. Right? There are a lot of organizations too, and in fact some other religious groups who were able to put together, uh, what do you call them? Care packages. Again, another opportunity we had was to be able to reach persons who we have not met. We, re- we met people during the crisis that we didn't reach before. We went on our live stream and we said, hey, if there's anybody out there watching that needs help, please reach out to us. That's what we did. We got this call. I don't want to say all the details, of course, but unexpected opportunity to be able to assist. This is a platform to advance the gospel. Let's not miss this. It is often not automatic. It often does not occur by default. It takes spiritual effort to respond in a gospel advancing way in times of difficulty. You must decide to give God glory in that situation. How does suffering advance the gospel? It becomes known to others. Your testimony is about Christ. It is a picture of what you are willing to endure for the sake of his name. If there were no challenges in your life, there'd be little platform for the glory that comes from thriving in the midst of the storm. There have to be storms in order to thrive through them, right? 
So people ask you how in the world you were able to endure something like that and still be calm about it because you have Christ in you. That serves then to increase other people's confidence in God that you serve. They see your good works and the sense they glorify God who is in heaven. Matthew 5. People become more at ease to seize the opportunities to share their faith because they are encouraged by your steadfastness in trials. They ask, well, if so-and-so is encouraged by your uh, steadfastness in trials, then I should be able to rely on God for the same power to go through that same trial. The point is that it's not the intensity of the struggle, it is the immensity of the God that we serve. It is not the intensity of the trial that is the point, you know. Oh, this is so hard. It is the immensity of our God. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The church is still sing that song. That's good theology. Yeah, man. The truth of the matter is that when you are suffering, not everybody is going to empathize with you. In fact, there may be some people, even within the very body of believers, who may be glad to see you fall or hurt. May it not be that way, right? But we're talking realities here. They may seek to use that to take advantage of you and your situation and advance their agenda. Not everyone that does something in the name of the Lord has right motives for doing so. Even in this situation, though, Paul can look past the additional suffering and hurt caused by other people. So I'm already in prison and they're kicking me when I'm done. They're going out there and slandering my name. And I cannot say anything about it. I cannot do anything about it. I leave it to the Lord. These are persons who rub salt in your wounds. We Beijing will say, Da Felicia. I glad. <laughs> However, the big picture here is that the gospel is going out. That's the apostle. The gospel is going out. And I can and I will be glad for that. Folks, have you missed opportunities to share the gospel with someone? I know I, I did. I gave you one example where I did not say I'm not myself a hero. It, it happened, God gave me an opportunity, but I missed a lot. A lot more opportunities because I was hesitant. Because I was thinking, well, nobody really wants to talk about that right now. People are trying to get bread. People are trying to get eggs. That same conversation that I, I, I told that lady where to get some eggs. People don't want to hear the gospel now, but how wrong was I? I was prime time for the gospel. Prime time to share and witness. So have we missed opportunities? Let us beg God for another chance. Another opportunity to share, to tell others about the love of Christ. Help us not to be preoccupied. So many people right now preoccupied with the trending movement. Whatever is trending, that's what people are on. So what's trending right now? Black Lives Matter. And so many of you may know, some of you may know that I'm an avid basketball fan as well. And so the NBA players have been put into the bubble and they're looking to deal with this issue and they put Black Lives Matter on the basketball court. They have their t-shirts and everything and then somebody gets shot. And they're up in arms, they're raging, they can't understand why is it that nothing that we did worked. We painted the court and we wore t-shirts. Guys, if persons do not hear the gospel and do not come to Christ, then nothing changes. This is how, that's how the world fixes their problems. T-shirts and paintings on the floor. We know better. Christ is the answer. 
That's what I put on the court. That's what I put on your shirt. That's the message that we are to take to this lost and dying world. Again, the apostle presents himself as the pattern to follow. What an audacious claim. Right? He says it in 3.17. How many of you would say that you were the pattern to follow during lockdown? Hmm? Should we all have been as anxious as you were? Should we all have been as lazy, as short-tempered? Because somehow my family started getting on my nerves. People that I am supposed to be around all the time. Should we all have been as distracted as you were? Let us strive to be the pattern to follow. Rejoicing in suffering based on our position in Christ and our confidence in his sovereign plan. May God bless you. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word, Lord God, and to review these concepts, these principles that matter so much for our lives. We thank you for this mature congregation here at CRBC. We thank you that, Lord, you are doing your work in their lives to bring them more into perfection in terms of maturity. We thank you, Lord, for what your word has said to us, that we ought to rejoice in difficult times. Father, we truly, honestly find it difficult sometimes to be happy when we look at what's around us. So we, we look at our families, we look at our bank accounts, we look at the state of our health, and there are struggles. But God, help us to have our eyes fixed on you, and fixed on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. The one who for the joy that was set before him endured, endured, endured. Help us, Lord God, to also, as ones who are called, ones who are saved, ones who have been redeemed, we know that Israel will, that we will suffer persecution. There will be hard days. But Father, we thank you so much for the grace that you provided for those days. Lord, where we have fallen short in the many areas that you have expected us to live up to, we ask your forgiveness. We pray, Lord God, for a gospel commitment to gospel advance, Lord God, in this congregation and in Bible-believing churches across our land. That we will not miss or squander any more opportunities to represent Christ to this world. And may you, by your will, grant these things that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.